You are listening to The Gospel for Geeks. I'm Father Roderick, and this is a recording of my Sunday homily. You can find more information about the Bible readings in the show notes. We need to talk about Harry Potter and the Dursleys. Of course, Harry Potter, you know the story, is an orphan. He has lost his parents, don't really know what has happened to them yet, but he is staying with his aunt and uncle and their son, and they are treating him horribly. They're so incredibly unjust towards poor Harry. He has to, he doesn't even have his own room. He has to live in a cupboard under the stairs, and uh, their son is constantly teasing Harry Potter and is super favorited by his parents, whereas Harry Potter is really treated as an orphan. He has to serve all the others before he can eat himself. He's constantly uh, the, the target of, of disparaging comments. And what strikes me the most, and, and that makes me very um, empathetic with, with Harry's lot, is that these Dursleys seem to be all about themselves. They, they, you can even tell by the way they, they act. and They're, they're super, um, you know, fixated on food, on posi- possession, on, on uh, the esteem of others. They always want to project themselves as an ideal family that are applauded by everyone. And Harry, you know, he has got to hide upstairs in his own room, certainly do not make any noise, or you have to work in the kitchen. It's a classic fairy tale. Cinderella, very similar story. You know, it's the the poor child that is rejected by uh, her stepmother. And and, and it's the same story here. What is so interesting about the story of Harry Potter and the way it's told is that despite the fact that Harry knows that this is very unjust and that he is on the lowest level Uh, compared to all the other members of the Dursley family, he is not bitter. And you can tell that later on in the story, when Harry finally gets his letter, his invitation to become a student at Hogwarts, and he gets on the train, despite all the efforts of his step-parents to keep him at the Dursleys. But on the train, you remember, he takes out the gold that he, that he got when he went to Gringotts, the, the bank, with, uh, with Hagrid. And it turns out that Harry actually is not poor at all. His parents have left him a legacy of a huge pile of gold. He can buy basically anything he wants. Now, you would expect someone who has been maltreated for his entire younger years to be very afraid to lose his possessions. You, you often see that. It's just the way that we are rigged. If we've been brought up with a lot of poverty and, and people constantly taking away things of us, we, we can become very possessive, very, you know, in, like selfish almost, and afraid to let go of stuff that we have. You have that with in a more extreme form with, with hoarding, people that have this mental... Uh, illness where they just keep amassing stuff and their houses are just huge piles of of stuff. It's never about the stuff. It's always about this inner fear of losing because they went through trauma that have made them so much fixated on, on having stuff to feel safe. But Harry 
does not suffer from a condition like that. And so when the lady with the, the food tray uh, passes by their compartment in the wagon with all sorts of chocolate frogs and, and magical candy, Harry Potter looks at uh, the other kids in, in, on the train and he's like, yeah, I'll just buy everything. And then the next scene shows him with, in the train with the, the couch covered in delicious candy. And then, of course, Ron is sitting next to him. They don't really know each other that well. They just met at the railway station. And Ron, of course, is like, oh, my God, I've never... Ron is, has also been brought up in a, in a big family, and they didn't have that much uh, to, uh, to spend. And so Ron is just enjoying all that food. And then Hermione enters, and she doesn't really care about, about the candy, but she sees the scene where Harry has been so generous with, uh, with his fellow students. And so she's very generous towards him. She sees that he has got uh, like a broke, broken pair of glasses and she fixes it with a simple spell. And so there's this, this giving, this back and forth. Right from the first moment that these kids meet each other, there is this spirit of generosity. Let me help you. Let me give you something. It's the opposite of the Dursleys. And I think the story really paints a very stark contrast, very classic of any fairy tale, between the selfish Dursleys, and then these kids who are all about giving. This brings me to today's readings in the Bible, because this is the central theme of both the first reading that we've heard and the Gospel. In the first reading, there's a stark warning for people that are using their power, their economic power, to extort money from others. And not only to extort money, but also to oppress others. It's about these people that are falsifying their scales and they're just like messing around so they can charge even extra. They even sell what they would normally even not even feed their, their, their cattle. And, and when you read that, it's a bit shocking because you realize that, you know what? Nothing has changed. These readings are more than 2,000 years old. And yet in our world, the same thing happens. There's people that are just like tipping the scales and, and trying to do all sorts of legal things to just to amass more money. It's all about money and power. And it's the only thing that drives them. And they don't care what the consequences are. They just want more. It's never enough. And then the people on the lowest, lowest uh, like floor, you could say, of our society, they suffer the most. And, and you see this also currently with the crisis, the economic crisis. Despite what's going on in the world and how much, how much hurt that causes, there are still people that are trying to enrich themselves. Here in the Netherlands, there's this guy who, when COVID broke out, he was, he was doing all sorts of, of, of tricks to, to sell COVID masks, you know, like the, these protective masks. And he presented himself on, in the media as this benefactor, but behind the scenes, and now all of this is coming to light. He was actually in it just for the money. He made millions and millions by shady deals. And, and of course, there's not just one perpetrator. There are many other people that have been involved in this. And well, this is just one example. We see that everywhere. And, and it's, it's a mindset. 
It's a, a type of people that don't care about the poor. They only care about themselves. And well, the first reading has some harsh words for these people. You know, it's, it's God sees what they do. And God says, I will not forget one single thing that they do. And that's comforting because this reading is not really for those rich people. They don't care about scripture. They don't care about God. But this is an encouragement for the poor, where God actually says, I'm on your side. You know what? These people who do that to you, who make sure that you continue to live oppressed and in poverty, I am with you and I see what they do and I will not forget. There will be justice. That's a cool God who does that. You know, God who sides in, in, from the very early beginnings. Uh, he sides with his people and especially with the people that are needy, that are hungry, that are poor, that are sick. And this continues in, in uh, what Jesus shows us and the way he behaves. And the gospel takes place when they are on their way to Jerusalem. And most of his apostles, let's be honest, they've, they've never been in a big city like that. And, and he knows that, you know, in a short time they will be walking around in those beautiful streets of Jerusalem looking at all those tall buildings and the wealth and the, just the, the economic and political power and even religious power that's concentrated in Jerusalem. The huge temple, you know, with all these incredibly important people that are wandering around there, the rabbis, the Pharisees, the, 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 the experts in scripture, the Romans also powerful and you know but it's almost as, as if Jesus wants to to warn his apostles like don't just look at the wealth and, and the power keep your eyes focused on where I have my eyes focused and that is on the poor and that's when he tells this story about uh, the the unjust steward and it's it's funny that Jesus uses this example uh, we we, we kind of imagine ourselves that Jesus only tells very pious stories, you know, about saints and angels. And but no, Jesus sometimes uses examples that are a little bit like, "Whoa, that is, you know, what kind of story is this?" And he wants to shake things up. He wants to wake people up. So it's kind of like a mafia story here. It's this guy who is a steward for his boss, but he he's a very bad steward. He's just got, you know, he's very bad with money. He's been lazy. And, and so once his boss discovers that his servant, you know, his steward has been so lackluster, he's like, okay, you're fired. But first, before you hit the road, I want a full report of what you've done. You know, just give me the numbers. I need to fix this. And then the steward is like, huh, so I'm going to be without work, without an income tomorrow, what am I going to do? And you see that he's like really still lazy. I am not going to work at a farm. I'm not going to dig. I'm not going to be working in the mud. I'm not going to beg. Come on, I'm not like this, these poor beggars that I see every day. Come on, I'm too good for that. So he kind of emphasizes his, his lazy attitude. And, he, and then he, he, but he's shrewd. And he's like, you know what? I'm just going to call these debtors and I'm just going to, you know, give them a deal they cannot refuse. And so he's like, okay, so how, how much do you owe my boss? Like a hundred jars of olive oil. Super. I mean, right now, 
olive oil is so expensive. Um, so if it's like 50 jars, that, that must have been a fortune. So he's like, okay, so 100 jars, write 50. So that, you know, once, once he is out of work and he will come across that, that same guy in the streets, you know, and he will maybe he'll be hungry or the other guy will say, oh my gosh, you were the one who brokered me that deal and that saved me so much money. Just come over, let's have dinner, let's see what I can do for you. And he does the same with a guy who owes a lot of uh, money for the grain that he bought. Again, almost as if it's written today with the high prices right now of flour and all that. And it's like, hey, just, just lower it to 80. Same thing, I make friends. And you know, I, I, my boss doesn't want me any, anyway, so I'd, I'd better just, you know, it's not my money, so I can give it away freely. And then Jesus says, you know, this is what you have to keep in mind. This is not about me giving this, this unjust steward as an example. That would be like Jacob Rowling saying, like, just look at the Dursleys and act like them. At least they've got things under control and they've got this, this Harry Potter, this, this lowly, you know, would-be wizard. They, they keep him where he belongs. What kind of story would that be? Of course, Jesus is not telling a story like that. So it's not about the evilness or the laziness of this, of this guy, but it's about his forward thinking. It's like, okay, you plan ahead. And even his boss, when he discovers what the steward has done, is like, okay, I don't like this, but that was smart. <laughs> Maybe you thought I would have done the same. So there's this kind of this compliment about the shrewdness of this guy. And then Jesus says, um, you know, money, wealth, he calls it unjust wealth. But it's basically because in, in religious terms, money is just, you know, it's just a tool. And if you worship it, if it's all about the money and possessions and power, you're betting on the wrong horse, you know, it's, it's, the, the money is, is, <laughs> can become an instrument of the devil trying to lure you into replacing God with basically uh, a false God. Instead, Jesus says, use that money, it's just a tool, use it to forge relationships. Use it to invest in others instead of investing in yourself. And then, especially if you invest in the poor who cannot repay you, they will repay you when you are there at the, at the pearly gates and you can't come in because you messed up. But then you will have ambassadors that are on the other side and they will say, but that's the guy who helped us. He was a friend of the poor. So Jesus, you've become poor. He's your friend as well. Let's, let's bring him in. That's the reasoning that Jesus presents to his disciples. And so it's like if, you're, if you don't handle money in the right way, if you're dishonest with money and it's all about you and it's all about greed and it's all about selfishness, you know, that's just money, it's just a tool. But then why would God give you his wealth? You can't even handle the, the, the physical wealth, the, the money you don't share. Then how can God share something with you? And, and, but if you are trustworthy with this material wealth, and this is, this is the crux of the story, 
Why does Jesus use the word, uh, uh, what was the word? The, <laughs> the steward. Because stewardship in the Bible and also in the Christian tradition is what we have been entrusted with. We are also called stewards. That is to say, our material wealth is not ours, just like in Harry Potter. It's not his money. He didn't make that money. It was just given to him by his parents. In the same way, God gives us his love and everything that we possess, it's not ours. It's a gift. We could have been born in a different country under different circumstances, have bad luck, and we would have nothing. We would live in countries with hunger and famine and, and, and maybe war. Everyone in the world who is in a worse condition than you are is still your brother and sister, and you could have been born where they are born. And so what you currently have, do never think that that is yours. It is given to you so that you can give it to others. It's meant for sharing. And that is the true key to happiness. It's not like I need to take it all in for me, afraid that I won't have enough. It's about giving. Just give. And the more you give, the more you become like Jesus, who wasn't here on earth to take. He was here to give. And that's the beautiful thing about the Harry Potter story later on. That early friendship that started with just, you know, let me give you some chocolate frogs, or Hermione, like, let me fix that, you know, pair of glasses for you. Is that giving mentality that forged the beginning of a friendship that every book would grow stronger. Because every time these friends would be there for one another, never afraid to sacrifice their own safety or their own position in the school to help their friends. And it's ultimately that friendship that proves to be stronger than death itself. It's that friendship that's the true magic of Harry Potter that is able to defeat Voldemort. And that is also the same deep magic, that same hidden mystery of the Bible and of our faith. It is by doing the opposite of what you think will make you wealthy. It's not taking, but it's giving. And the more you do it, the more you will be given. The more you are able to share, the more God will share with you. Thank you for listening to The Gospel for Geeks. You can join me live for Mass every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central European Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. Follow me on social media at Father Roderick for a link to the live stream. If you want to contribute to this ministry, go to fatherroderick.com donate.